When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Talk the Plank, a Pittsburgh Pirates podcast here on the Fans First Sports Network. Alongside Connor Williams, I'm Jake Slobodnik, joining you once again for another edition of Talk the Plank. It's been, it feels like forever since we've last reconvened, but that's mainly because nothing's really happened with the Pirates. Um, Unfortunately, they were out on the Shohei Otani sweepstakes, just fell just short of the $700 million 10-year contract that the Dodgers offered. I know I'm sad, too, Um, but unfortunately... That's not the case. Pirates have been pretty quiet this offseason with the winter meetings wrapping up and all. They did make a couple of moves. Felt like this was probably the best time to chat Bucko baseball for a little bit. And we'll talk about that now. Connor, first things first, though. How's how are things going for you, man? Uh going pretty good. Uh still need to lose some weight from Thanksgiving, but you know. Oh, tell me about it, man. I'm still working off about well, I think the turkey pot pie we made with the leftovers, but um, Ooh. Yeah, I'm hoping to hit the gym later today after we record this. That way I can start trimming some fat. I don't know if I will, but um, we'll see there. But first, you know, before we get into today's topic, I just want to commend you on your interview with Jim Callis. You did a couple weeks back. I listened Thank you. to it. Thank you. It. I got to say it was a fantastic show. So for all of our listeners who um, who haven't heard it yet, head over to the Fans First Sports Network, wherever you find Talk to Plank. Check out Connor's conversation with Jim Callis of MLB Pipeline. You won't uh, you won't be disappointed uh connor from your experience what was uh give me a little bit of your point of view what did you take away from your big conversation with mr callis um i walked away even higher on anthony Salamedo. um i went to altoona this year for it was i think it was the day before paul skeen's start um the paul skeen's first start i should say um that anthony Salamedo started in altoona And he went through like four innings and only gave up. He threw four innings. He only gave up like two hits. The wheels kind of fell off in the fifth. He gave up two runs, walked a couple people. Um, But like watching him in person, you really see like just how lost left-handers look against him. And I think the stuff is a lot better than people give it credit for. Um, But Jim Callis is even higher on Anthony Salamedo than I am. Um, Jim Callis even said if he takes a leap and becomes like a top five or 10 pitching prospect next year, he wouldn't be surprised. I'm not sure if I would go that far. Um, but I do think a lot is a, a lot of what holds me back on Salamedo is that I, I worry that that right handers get like a, a really good look at him. And I also worry about whether or not that velocity that we saw improvement from and then tailed off as the innings climbed um because he threw like way more innings than he ever had before this year um that if if that doesn't if that's not consistent velocity then like we're gonna have some issues here because i'm not sure how well that primary offering despite the good shape plays at like 90 i think it really needs to get up to like 92 93 
Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. I've always been intrigued by Soul Meadow, and I don't know if it's because of his awkward delivery that he gets a lot of motion behind his pitches, or I don't know if he uses his speed or lack thereof to full hitters, but you know, I'm kind of concerned. He got hit around a little bit toward the end of the year. Um, but again, he's still young. He's impressionable. He can grow. The youngest pitcher in the Eastern League. Right. And I'm not concerned about that at all. I don't think he's, you know, it's not like he's regressing or anything. He's just pretty green. And with the right coaching and the right upbringing, you know, I think he's he's got a bright spot. I mean, he's already, and I know organizational rankings don't really matter, but I mean, he's in the top 10 of the Pirates prospects right now, according to the pipeline. So um, buy stock now and Anthony Salmetto. And again, if you still need convincing, go listen to Connor's conversation with Jim Callis. It's available on uh, Talk the Plank on the Fans First Sports Network or, or anywhere you find our podcasts. Great conversation. So go check that out. Well, One more note on um, on Salamedo. Yeah. Um, just as a person, I was really impressed by the maturity because he was 20 last year. And like basically everybody that I talked to told me that his self-evaluation skills and his ability to self-assess are are just are very very good and he the control is very good i mean he's a pitcher he's not a thrower if that makes sense um and he's a chatterbox but he'll he'll tell you exactly what he did wrong from his last start and what he needs to do to fix it it's very good trait to have yeah. And uh, I mean, he just he kind of just radiates maturity, you know, not to recycle what you just said, but I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head and so did Jim. So, again, check out that conversation if you haven't already. I mean, it's just great to listen to or even listen to again if you haven't or if you've done so already. Um, but let's talk about the winter meetings. They just wrapped up in Nashville. Um, the Pirates, they were oddballs in this one. They they started off pretty quiet, pretty much status quo as to what it's been all off season long. And then I think it was either the end of day two or end of day three. I was still battling a cold at this time, so I, on, all my days just ran together. I think it was but day two. I think you're right. Um, but MLB guru Jeff Passan just broke the news at like 11 o'clock at night that um, the Pirates acquired lefty Marco Gonzalez from Atlanta um, in exchange for a player to be named later and cash considerations. Gonzalez, for those who don't know, was actually acquired by Atlanta two days prior to this trade by the Pirates. Nobody really thought that he was going to stick around too much. And I think I read somewhere that he didn't even look for a housing out in Atlanta. So no, I think... he was he was fully expected to be traded again. Right. So he he knew that was going to happen. But I don't think Pittsburgh was the top landing spot for him or what everybody expected. But the Pirates do have at least one gap filled in their five-man rotation, which took a hit. So uh, because of Johan Oviedo going down with Tommy John surgery, so they bring in a soft, I don't want to say soft throwing left-hander, but that's basically what I think Gonzalez that's, is. That's pretty fair. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty fair. But I mean, he's also hindered by injury, had a forearm injury uh, toward the end of last season, had to get surgery. So you look at some of the numbers from last year, they're nowhere near what it was back in, I believe, 2020 or 2019 when he was just absolutely off the charts. But I think injury can play a part in that. Uh, Connor, give me your give me uh, reaction. That, that was the 3.10. Uh, ERA year in 70 innings, obviously abbreviated season. Uh, right. 2019, 203 innings, 2021, 143, and 2022, 183. And then this year, of course, 50. Um, I, I don't know. Um, I think there's a very good reason why Seattle had to 
include Jared Kalenic to dump his salary off to Atlanta. And there's also a very good reason why Atlanta is now paying the Pirates $9 million, of course, um, before whatever cash considerations the Pirates send back. Because um, I would assume that they were going to, that the player to be named later was somebody that the Pirates were going to take in the Rule 5 that Atlanta wanted, and that's who they would send over. Um, Obviously, it didn't work out that way. Um, So whatever cash is being sent back, I'm sure, is minimal. Uh, but for now, Marco Gonzalez is being, I think the exact number is 9.25 um, being sent over uh, by the Braves. Uh, and so the Pirates are only going to pay this guy $2.75 million. All right. So surface level, I think that's a good value. But I think when you dive deeper and examine why this guy's being salary dumped off from two different teams. It gets a little murky um, because not only was this a nerve injury, which is really bad. um, You could just look to Yarlin Garcia for proof of that. Um, The pirates, of course, signing Garcia last year to, I think a $3 million contract with a a $4 million option, I believe. Um, I could be very wrong about that, but I know there was an option on there. And Garcia had a nerve issue in spring training, and by midseason, he couldn't even grip a ball. Um, So they're bad news. And the exact nerve injury that Marco Gonzalez had is pretty uncommon. Um, It was a nerve. It's a nerve that runs. I forget the name. Uh, Let me look it up. but it is a nerve, I believe, that runs up and down the arm. And it is, and the specific procedure he had done is not unheard of, but it's pretty uncommon. Um, and the good news is pitchers have had it and have pitched again. Um, pitchers have had it and pitched decent again. Um, the bad news is it wasn't anywhere near the same workload. Um, Brandon Morrow had it after the 2013 season and he didn't get back up over 40 innings in the major leagues until 2017. And that was the only time. And he never handled a starter's workload again. Um, I know Scott Alexander had it, um, in 2019, I believe it was, uh, yeah, 2019, um, and for the next couple of years, he didn't break 20 innings pitched in the major leagues. Of course, this year, um, 48 innings, but it's, I don't know. It's just, they can't, this can't be their only move. I mean, that was going to be the, you know, that was going to be the way it was regardless of whether or not Gonzalez was able to throw 180 innings this year or not. But if you're counting on Gonzalez to throw 180 innings this year, Maybe it shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, I, I, I don't mind this if it's the first of many. Um, right, and I'm sure that's the sentiment that all Pirates fans share. Um, I mean, Gonzalez has proven that he could be a good pitcher, but gambling with this injury that he just had, the injury or with the surgery he just underwent, you're putting a lot of eggs into one basket, and nothing's even certain that he's going to come back and at least be half the pitcher he used to be. Um, 
I think he would be fine middle, lower end of the rotation kind of guy. And I know it's it's kind of scary thinking about like Harlan Garcia, as you mentioned. Um, because again, Garcia was in spring training and then never pitched for the Pirates. Um, he could just as easily come back in spring training, get hurt, and never pitch the season. But you look at the price tag on it, it's kind of typical that the Pirates would do this. Um especially with how the cash flow is being exchanged, the, the 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 result's still the same. Pirates aren't really paying that much for Gonzalez, so if he does go down with injury, it's not like he's, uh, you know, money on fire, per se. And again, Atlanta didn't really want him to begin with, so they got rid of him. So, yeah, if this is the first of many moves, I don't hate it that much. Um, he does fill a spot in the rotation, which is exactly what the Pirates need. We'll see how he develops whenever spring training arrives. But um, I mean, for the for the money, for the possibilities, I guess the ceiling, I, sh- I should say about how he'd perform. I'm not I'm not hating this, but I really expected Charrington to maybe beef up a couple more moves over the winter se- over the winter meetings. But I think now that Shohei Otani has sort of bro- broken the plane. Now we're going to see some of these other guys start to get signed because I'm looking at some of these free agent deals and Connor, correct me if I'm wrong. If any, if you've seen any conflicting reports, I'm on spot track right now. I mean, you got other guys out there like, <laughs> excuse me, Marcus Stroman, who's out there. Um, Martin Perez. Um, trying to find some other names that are listed here. Um, or maybe I, I think I, did I look at the wrong? No, I didn't. Um Julio Urias, who I know is a questionable character. Nobody really wants him. Trevor Bauer is still out there. Another questionable decision. But the concept is there are still plenty of names out there that the Pirates could get. They could be active in the trade market, as they've already shown. Um, it's still a long offseason to go. I'm just kind of disappointed, I would say, at, at face value that the Pirates have not done too much, aside from acquiring a guy who's not even, I would say, 60% certain that he's going to be, you know, ready to go by opening day. But I digress. We'll see how it happens. Pirates also made a minor signing. Well, actually, a couple minor signings, I would just say. To, uh, just to interrupt you there for a moment. Um, the specific injury that Gonzalez had, it's the anterior enterosis nerve. Um, it Basically, it runs alongside um, the front of the forearm, um, and he had a surgery to... I, I'm I'm not a doctor, so I don't really know what this means. Um, but he had a clean out to decompress the nerve. Um, and it's not it doesn't run the length of the arm. I was mistaken there. It's it's only the front of the forearm. Um, but yeah, that's the specific injury that he had. Okay. Well, still the thing is with Marco, you hope that he's ready to go at least by at least get back to 95, 90, 95 percent by spring training and re- fully ready to go by opening day. Um, it's good that it wasn't as, I would say, serious as we thought, but we'll see what happens. Um, moving forward, Pirates also made a couple minor signings, pretty underwhelming stuff here. Um, they claimed Rodri and Munoz off waivers from Washington. Um, I honestly think he's going to be – he's just here for now. He's going to be DFA'd if the Pirates start making more moves. I think he's just a placeholder for now. Um, just one of those things that I don't know what, what Charrington was thinking. Pirates also signed Ali Sanchez. I believe it was a split well, deal. I mean, every team makes those moves. I, I I don't. I wouldn't make too much of it, honestly. Yeah, that's what I mean. He's probably going to be gone. So it is what it is. 
Ali Sanchez also brought in on a split deal. Um, Pirates also reportedly signing relief pitcher Ben Heller to a minor league deal with an invite to spring training. Now, Heller, I think, is the most intriguing out of all of this. Um, 32 years old, little under 19 innings pitched for Atlanta last year before injuries. 386 ERA, not too bad, and a 13% walk rate. Again, small sample size, but just doing some background look on him. He he kind of brings some promise to it. Um, and he, he kind of adds to a Pirates, I guess, relief core, which I will say has taken a step forward from last year. You know, with some of the guys that we have, such as Holderman, Jose Hernandez, Dar- Dari Moreta, who came out of the woodwork. Um, I don't know if there's a solid spot for Ben Heller, but I definitely think that there's some intrigue there. And he could possibly be one of those guys that with a strong spring could break out on the opening day roster last minute. Yeah, I mean, it's he's a guy. I mean, these are the these are the signings you make. These are the the pieces that you build your bullpen out of. You you assemble a lot of a lot of guys and you just see who has it. Um with reliever variability, you just you just never know, really. Yeah, you never know. Sorry, missed, I almost missed the button. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just it's just a guy. Um, like you said, nothing really too special about it. I I think he could be one of those breakout candidates though in spring training, but we shall see. I want to talk about Ali Sanchez too. Because one of the quotes that Ben Charrington had at the winter meetings was kind of alarming to me. And you and I talked about this before we even got on the air here. And we'll talk more about his comments, but this one sticks out to me the most. Charrington was asked, and excellent job by Jake Krause on making the story. It was great. Um, They had talked with Charrington about, does the team have an opening day catcher? Now, for those listening... Just as a refresher, Pirates catching room consists now of Andy Rodriguez, Henry Davis, if you want to call him that, because that is what Charrington said he was going to focus on in the offseason, Jason DeLay, who is a fine backup, and then Ali Sanchez, who has very, very limited experience at the major league level. That gives you four catchers, two of which you could possibly put there behind opening day. One, I think, is guaranteed, that being Andy. Um, I, I don't know. I thought that Jason Delay would be the fine third backup catcher. Well, that's, um, I, but... I think people are overreacting to this. I really do. Um, the way that they've handled this situation is bizarre. Yes. Um, with the Henry, is he, is he not a catcher? Um, but in terms of like bringing Ollie Sanchez in on a split deal, I mean, I, I I like Jason Delay as much as the next guy, but I mean, he was he was the bullpen catcher in AAA, right? Like that's his story. That's his miraculous like path to the major leagues. Um, and he was considering retirement. Uh, when the Pirates, I believe it was an emergency COVID call up. I believe it was. Um. Yeah, it was an emergency of some type. I don't know if it was COVID specifically, but it was like a, hey, we need a body. Get up here. Right. And of course, he ended up being a heck of a lot better than anybody expected him to be. Um, But also still with, I I say that with um, the understanding that a heck of a lot better than no expectations isn't very, you know, high. Um, 
so yes, he's he's good defensively. Um, but if if you want to bring in somebody that's you know depth or can compete for that backup job in camp, I I just I really don't mind it. Um, I don't think they're gonna trade anybody. Um, I think they're gonna try to see if Henry Davis is gonna work out at catcher. Um, that seems to be from everything that Ben has said this off season where that's headed. I don't quite understand it, but you know, you took him at one, one, you know, you might as well see if he's got it at the major league level. I thought they should have done it last year. And then when they didn't, you know, I thought it should have gone the other direction, but Hey. Yeah, I was um, all signs do point to Henry Davis being behind the dish, but then again, what we see, and versus what we hear are two different things. Um, I mean, I I agree with you that I don't think the that the Pirates are trading any of their catchers. Envy, I think, is untouchable. Henry also, um, unless you get like some blockbuster in return, but that's unlikely. Um, I was just kind of shocked because you look back to last season, we brought in Ali Sanchez for the same reason to compete for a backup job. Then we end up just cutting him. And something tells me that's going to happen. That's going to be the same thing, too. I mean, maybe it'll be later. Maybe it'll be during spring training. But I don't know. I just found it kind of weird. I I guess I'm too soft for Jason DeLay. I like what he's done. I like his story. But I, I just found it odd that we brought Ali Sanchez back for seemingly no reason. But power to him. Good luck to him. We'll see if he can land a backup job or if he'll just hibernate in AAA like he's been doing for the past however many years of his career. Um, but the fact that... I, I the, the whole conversation here wasn't mainly about Ali Sanchez. It was about Charrington basically saying they don't have an opening day catcher yet. And I this could be smoke and mirrors. You and I both know that Andy Rodriguez is most likely going to suit up on opening day. Um, but the fact that Charrington would actually come out and say, we do not have a clear-cut option at this time, I don't know if that's alarming or if that's just Charrington trying to be cute with this whole offseason. I don't know. I, I, I really don't. I, I'm kind of done trying to guess at what they're doing um, at catcher. I, I really am. Um, Because I'll be honest, I don't think Henry Davis is going to work out behind the dish. Um, I think especially with Endy there, as I I don't even know if you could really call it competition. Um, And that's not doing Henry Davis any discredit. It's a lot of credit goes to Andy Rodriguez, but he is much more advanced defensively. Um, I think the fan fervor of wanting to see Henry catch was understandable with who they had back there. Um, obviously, we know who they had back there. It was Austin Hedges. But the other reality of that is that I just don't think Henry Davis is particularly good defensively. Um I've seen him drop pitches like that is it's it's a known problem that he has. And I don't think I've ever seen anybody else considered for catching duties at this level have that issue. Yeah, I agree with you. And I'm going to just echo your sentiment about defensively. He's a little suspect. I've been to several Altoona curve games when he was there and 
I can probably tell you that he has almost lost more games than he has won behind the dish. One specifically, I remember clear as day. It was, I think it was a runner on first. He let two pitches go by him. Um, runner came home and luckily his toss back to Tyler Sammonego, I think it was, it was spot on. But if it wasn't, they the alternate curve would have lost. And at this point in your career, you're the number one overall pick. You come in as a catcher. You can't just botch pitches like that. You can't set up your team to lose. So I'm with you there. I think Davis, I think, is more suited. I don't I don't know if it's going to be right field. I don't know if it's DH primarily, but catching I don't think is in his car. It is in his future. Um not, maybe, not full time at least. Right. But maybe like once every now and then, you know, when say Andy or Andy and or delay can't go one day. I don't know. I'm trying to like just spitball here, but the concept stands. I don't think that Henry has a future behind the dish, at least full time, as you said. So, and I don't think that should be the focus because I think he has just so much to work on. Where I think it, there there comes a point where, and I mentioned this in previous articles that I've written, where I just feel it becomes a distraction. Like the main focus right now should be making sure that that guy hits as well as he can. You know, they took him at one one for the bat you know they didn't take him because he was some defensive prodigy because even then there were questions about his defensive ability and whether or not he would stick a catcher so that's what the focus should be the focus should be making sure just finding a position for him and making sure that he hits and i just think that if he's not going to catch all that much maybe he shouldn't be working on it (laughs) Because there's a lot of work that goes into that. There really is. Exactly. And I thought that we had some bright spots with him in right field. I mean, I think his arm is very well suited for the outfield. Yeah. Um, he kind of reminds me of something that my one travel coach told me growing up. You have an outfield arm. And that's exactly what Henry Davis does. I mean, we saw it in full display, especially against Philadelphia last year. Where if, I feel like if he were to just fine-tune his, I guess, his approach. I don't know how to formulate this correctly, but... You know, catching balls, reading ball, balls. Basically, you mean everything else about the position because he's never played there? <laughs> Listen, I tried sugarcoating it, but yes, that's exactly what it is. He needs to fine-tune all of that stuff. Yeah. But I think he could actually find more success fine-tuning right field abilities than he could, say, behind the dish. Because you got to think, there's. I think the, the, the mindset of a catcher is a lot more intricate than one of an outfield, of an outfielder. Because as a catcher, you're controlling the game, basically. Whereas as an outfielder, you're just trying to work with everybody else to make things happen. Does that make sense? Right. So I feel like if he were to spend the offseason working on outfield abilities rather than catching, I think that would benefit him so much better. But as you said, the point is, it's not about how bad Henry could be defensively. It's is his hitting up to snuff. And I feel like with maybe a couple adjustments, it could be. We saw just how good it could be last year. I mean... For God's sakes, he's the only person to take Shohei Otani yard twice, let alone once, um, especially in his rookie season. So I think it's there. He just needs to maybe – I think the best analogy I can draw to Henry Davis is he was a newborn Colt last year. You know, he came out – you know, he got the size. You know, he looks all right, definitely healthy. But at the same time, there are a lot – that he's very green in some areas. He can barely walk, and I'm using that metaphorically. He can, you know, there were a lot of things that he needed to correct, and maybe he'll do that this offseason, but he needs to go from newborn cult to maybe 
racing horse here in just a couple of, you know, in just a couple short months. But I, you know, I'm getting off on on a tangent here, but Henry Davis, I think, has ability. I just don't think it's where it, it, it's not behind the plate. So we'll see where that leads. Um, moving on. Pirates need a first baseman. There's just there's no doubt about it. We can't have a year with Connor Joe and Jared Triolo. I hate saying that, but we can't have those two manning first base in a year where we're deemed to be competitive. Um, now, I know the pickings of first baseman free agency market is very slim. So don't think I'm here to list some terrible candidates for first base. But an interesting article, and I know this is there. there's not much traction behind it, but it came out yesterday. We're recording this on Sunday, December, December 10th. It came out yesterday, December 9th. The Pirates have been among a handful of teams checking in with the Guardians on slugging first baseman Josh Naylor, who I like. I think he's a solid first baseman. He's a really good bat. Um, the likelihood of him do, being traded, let alone to the Pirates, but to anybody, slim to none. But I'm interested to know, Connor, what would it take for the Pirates to give up to get somebody like Josh Naylor? Um I don't know what specifically, but I think it would definitely take an overpay. I think you look at where Cleveland is. I think they're probably looking to compete again for that division title because that division is very weak. Um, I believe they did. They finish second, I think. I believe so. But their offense is just is just pitiful. It it, it really is. Um, so. I just don't see why they would trade one of their best bats. I really, I just don't. Well, actually, the Guardians actually finished third in the division. They actually finished behind the Tigers, who finished in second, which that surprises you. Because the Guardians, I would say they hung around, but they like, they were in second for most of the year, I believe. Right. That's why I'm so shocked is like they were in second for so long and they were tabbed to be a potential fringe playoff team. But the fact that they finished behind the Tigers said something. But, you know, I, I agree with you. Cleveland, not a not a strong offensive team. But I feel like their era is passed. Their window has passed to become to become something in a very anemic AL Central division, which I don't know if it's a central curse. But both in the AL and the NL, it's just it's so shoddy on both ends. Um, You had two teams in the AL Central finish with 100 losses. The NL, you had one team nearing 100 losses. Surprisingly, it wasn't the Pirates. But overall, both divisions aren't that great. But I feel like, you know, the Pirates, they want to contend. The Guardians, I feel like they might need to start, I guess, reevaluating where they are. I don't want to use the word tank, but I feel like they're going to try to I'm trying to find the appropriate word here, but maybe try to like back off a little bit, offload, reevaluate, see where they can go from there. And with the Pirates needing to fill a void at first base, I'm not saying they're going to, but I think Josh Naylor would probably be the perfect fit. I do think it would take a massive overpay, as you said. It would take some significant top 10 ML or ML, uh, system, top 10 system prospects. And I don't know <laughs> who those those guys are at this moment, um, but I have a funny feeling 
The Pirates would have to give up somebody pretty, pretty good. I don't know if Jared Jones would be it. Definitely not Termar. I think he's off the table. I think Skeens, Johnson, and Jones, they're off the table. But I, well, think, I think you can Solomito and Chandler off the table for the Pirates, too. I, see, I, just, thing, though. I was actually going to list Solomito, maybe, because if we're talking about an overpay, maybe the Guardians would want to take a shot on Solomito. I don't know about Chandler, but I definitely think Solomito, with how much publicity he's garnered and how, how intriguing he could be, I feel like the, the oh, I almost fell in the Indians. I feel like the Guardians would want somebody like that who they can really start to bolster around. But again, I'm not trying to be those, you know, one of those fans that comes up with these elaborate and really bad trade schemes, but I could see them maybe toying with the interest. I think maybe a trade um, centered around Thomas Harrington. Um, A lot of the models and projections really like Thomas Harrington. His stuff is pretty good. Um, Hasn't the results haven't been all that great, but he is, very much a guy that if the Guardians, that if he were in a, <laughs> I don't, bluntly, if he were with a team with a better pitching development system, he might do well. Um, and I'm not saying he won't do well with Pittsburgh or that. I'm not going to get into that. Um, I'm just saying that the models and projections really like Thomas Harrington. I just don't think that. I think that Harrington and another prospect for Naylor would make sense. Now, if the Guardians were to throw Austin Hedges, who they just, who they just signed, oh, into, no, I think we you, would have to no, talk about a little bit no, more. Than day, you were but. waiting to drop that on me, weren't you? I so was, and I'm glad I did it. But, I mean, come on. Austin Hedges is making $4 million in the year of our Lord, 2023. Scott Boros is the greatest agent of all time, right? There's, just, there's not a debate. Who's he with, do you know? He's with Scott Boris. That's his. That that's crazy. That is so. How the how does Austin Hedges go with? Uh, I I don't know. I I mean, I'm, this isn't what the show's about. It's not about Austin Hedges, but man, that that just grinds my gears. That you can be so bad at something and yet just rake in the dough. That's for another episode. Possibly if the off season is still as slow as as molasses. We could talk about the the absurdities of Austin Hedges' paycheck, but. Wow, that just that sounded bad coming out of my mouth, but uh, I don't know. But well, I mean, I, I good for him. I don't think he's a bad guy or anything. It just not what I would pay him. Oh yeah, he's the, he's not a bad guy at all. He just can't play baseball. But here I am behind a computer screen. So what do I know? Um, but going back to the whole debate on who you know, what would it take for Josh Naylor? I'm, I'm, I am interested about Thomas Harrington. I wonder if that would be the big thing. I don't – I think I'm just holding out hope that they would keep him and maybe just bring him up for the for the long term. But, I mean, if you're going to get somebody like Josh Naylor, you got to see what you can do. Maybe overpay without you need overpaying. To, if you're going much. to get good MLB talent now, you have to give up prospects who might be worth a damn. Right. I mean, that's just is, that's the reality of it. And this is what Charrington has been doing. He's been stockpiling, I'm going to say, adequate to above-average prospects for the past couple of years. Not all of them were great. Not all of them are good. Not all of them are going to be groundbreaking or earth-shattering. He has hit the nail on a couple, but for the most part, there are a lot of adequate to above-average prospects that he could possibly make as part of a trade package. Um, who the, who they are is up to be, <laughs> up to be discovered, but... This is the time where Charrington could start offloading those prospects 
you know, sort I don't want to say tearing down what he's been building over the past couple of years, but using it to his advantage. And I think Naylor would be probably the best person to use, use these four. But again, there's nothing, there's no real traction behind this. I just thought it was interesting and I wanted to get your, your thoughts on it. It was cleveland.com who broke it. It was on Twitter. Um, you know, it's not like Rosenthal or Passen were talking about this, but I did want to just touch on that just for a second. So as we head to around third here on, on, on Talk the Plank, I want to get your opinion on something. This has been a very, very slow-moving offseason. And I know everybody is waiting for Shohei Otani to sign, and then that's when things sort of kind of unraveled, if you will. But with the way the Pirates have been, they've been very quiet about anything they've done. You know, Charrington has given his, his word soup answers, his scripted answers to the media, I would say. As we approach... The middle to latter part of December, do you see anything coming from the Pirates before the new year? I mean, yeah, I do. I think. Um, Let I me think rephrase. Cuts do you is going to get done significant to... coming before December. Not not like minor league signings, but something of note. Um, I do. Yeah, um, I think Andrew McCutcheon is going to get re-signed. Um, I think. Yeah, uh, the, the reporting out there was that that's gonna that they're gonna sit down after the winter meetings, which of course the winter meetings are now have now concluded. Um, I think that's gonna get done before Pirates Fest is January sixth, I believe it is. Um, so I think there's some there's a lot of incentive to get it done before then. Um, but I but I just think the market's going to force them to make moves. Um, because I think now that Otani is is off the market, um. Yamamoto could be next, um, then Montgomery, then, you know, so on and so forth. Um, but the market's, the market's slow, but it's not going to stay that way. I think over the next couple of weeks, you're going to see it, you know, really pick up now. I agree. I don't. Now that said, you know, if the plan is, if the plan is Alex Wood and like Hinjun Ryu and James Paxton and, and those kind of guys, then like maybe they do wait. Maybe they do wait post New Year's, and you know maybe we're we're looking at a rotation of you know Mitch Keller, Hinjun Ryu, and and Alex Wood and Marco Gonzalez. In which case, yuck. But you know it's just I could I could see a scenario where the Pirates just wait and see and see who they get. See who you know. Nobody else wants to sign. I trust me. I, I take no pleasure in, in saying that. Um, but they just they they have all the incentive in the world to go after one of the mid tier guys, whether it's whether it's Lugo or Giolito or Michael Waka. There's there's just no reason for them not to be in on one of those guys. There really isn't. Right, and I I think they could use that to their advantage, seeing like you know. Will these mid to low tier pitchers who could bolster a rotation on a struggling team like the Pirates, will they hit the panic button and accept less money as we get closer to spring training? I think that well, could happen. Well, I promise you that that Lucas Giolito and and them aren't gonna those those guys though Michael Wonka's and Lucas Giolitos and Seth Lugos of the world, they're they're not gonna be unsigned by spring training unless they're right. completely out there in terms of what they're asking for. Um, and if they are completely out there in terms of what they're asking for, then they're then they're gonna come down before you know spring training rolls around. Um, really, it's it's the Vince. It, it, even like Rich Hill and Vince Velasquez were signed, I think both before 
um, New Year's last year. I think was it Velasquez who was December 27th or something? It was like right before it was either Velasquez or Rich Hill. Um, obviously the market's slower this year, but even lesser pitchers, um, don't wait until spring training to sign. You got me intrigued now. I want to see what the Pirates did. I think it was Velasquez. I think you were right that he signed first. Um, because I know that remember they made a big deal about it. <laughs> the freaking hype video. Um, he actually signed it'll be a year um on Wednesday, December 13th, he signed. And then let me see if I can pull up Rich Hill signing. I know Rich Hill was surprising for me just because of the timing. Um Crap, when did he sign? But yeah, Vince There Velasquez, was somebody that signed like after Christmas, but before New Year's, I believe. Call me crazy though. Like, I wouldn't hate a reunion so much with Vince Velasquez if he's like a like a long reliever spot starter type of guy. Cause well, he's not gonna be ready till mid-season. Right. I mean that, and that's just I, another guy to add to, you know, JT Brubaker, Mike Burroughs, guys that you either are hopeful can find spots or have to find spots for at midseason. Right. Well, that is true. I think I'm just, I was kind of just intrigued by what he brought until he got hurt last year. Like it wasn't much, but it was definitely more than what we thought. And considering that we have seen how many, um, how many openers that the pirates have used. I think I'm just like, I think I'm just begging for anything at this point with substance, but um, we'll see. But yeah, we're coming up. How almost happy anniversary to Vince Velasquez for coming to the Pirates. And hope you enjoyed your stay. Um, but yeah, I, I think McCutcheon. I think he'll be the first domino to fall for the Pirates. I think he'll be the first thing off their shopping list. Um, I don't know if like we're gonna get any more significant moves before the new year. I think we'll see more after. I don't know why. I'm just with the way Charrington has operated this winter. I just think he's gonna take his grand old time and really sort through everything, see what he can use. And I can't really name anybody, but I mean, you listed, you listed Ryu, Paxton, Wood, Mitch Keller and them. I would take that rotation over, you know, three openers. Um, yeah. Over Bailey literally Falter, nothing. Yeah. Over Bailey Falter, which if I'm, if I read that correctly, they see him as like a pretty important asset for next year, which I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't either. But then Listen, again, I, I just I wouldn't take those comments at face value. Um, I, I just I wouldn't. <laughs> I really got to keep my mouse on one area because I almost missed the mute button again. But um <clears throat> We'll see. It's going to be, I mean, we still got lots of time. We're not even at the holiday. We're not even at the main holidays yet. So, I mean, we're just past Thanksgiving. So there's still lots of time for Charrington and company to make a move. We'll see what they can do. Hopefully we get some quality talent for once in our life. It would be nice to just understand that the pirates made an attempt aside from 2013, 15, but then we'll, we'll see. We'll see if they're going to stay true to their word. So uh, good catching up with you, Connor. If you want to give the fine folks listening in your Twitter handle or X handle, if you want. Yeah, at wins, wins underscore Williams. And you can follow me at underscore Radio Jake on Twitter X. I really wish it would just go back to Twitter, but what have you. 
Um, be sure to also follow Talk the Plank Pod on X. It's at Talk the Plank Pod. Follow Fans First Sports Network at Fans First SN. Be sure to check out Bucks Dugout. Connor's got some pieces out. We got some pieces coming out as we approach the midway uh, point in December. Um, we'll try to get some stuff up there. Hopefully, we we'll get some news for you as well. So. Uh, just stay tuned and also subscribe to talk the plank if you haven't already we're available on apple podcasts google podcasts basically anywhere you can find us we're also on spotify too that's also helpful for you there so go ahead and hit that subscribe button it's absolutely for free all you got to do is make an account which is really nothing there or nothing uh, challenging so go ahead subscribe like us and uh hopefully we'll talk more bucko baseball here soon they just got to give us some stuff to talk about but Hey, Connor, thanks uh, for joining me today. I appreciate sure, it. Sure, anytime. And we also thank you for listening. For Connor, I'm Jake with Talk the Plank. We'll see you next time.